Howdy, howdy do, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And this is episode 322. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor! For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. (laughs) I could retire. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, hey, Doctor Who fan! Welcome back to the Big Blue Box Podcast. I hope you've, hope you're keeping well and safe. You've had a cracking week, and you've managed to do something Doctor Who, Doctor Who related. Related, not belated. Although that might be appropriate this week because we were not mm. here last week. No. So a belated. Hope you had a cracking last week and this week thus far. I feel like we've slipped through like a. <laughs> don't know wormhole or something it seems like ages ago i was saying just before we recorded started recording it seems like ages ago we recorded the last podcast it, i can't believe it's only a week mm. like normally time goes fast but it feels like a really long gap i don't know why maybe i've been abducted or you've been away yeah. <laughs> yeah, gary's been in cornwall and i've been on mars <laughs> <laughs> we've slipped through the space and time gone to minimum <laughs> yeah it's weird and it? it does feel weird because there have been times where you and I have had longer breaks. We've had two weeks off sometimes. Yeah. Uh, three weeks off on one occasion. We came back, felt like we did it yesterday. But this week, for some reason, it feels like we haven't done it for ages. We're a bit out of practice. Very, and we, and very we both weird. said it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much so, I hope you don't mind me telling this, but so much so when, when I first joined Skype, I couldn't hear Gary. And I said, I can't hear you. We both look, were sort of looking at each other over Skype and then he realised he hadn't got his microphone in front of him and we were like, <laughs> blimey, we are out of practice. <laughs> that was weird, that one, I must admit. Yeah. Well, what A, a that you did notice and B, that I didn't think, oh, where's Gary's microphone? And I, I just was, oh, well. Can't blame the technical gremlins for that one. Fun times, eh? Yeah. Fun times. If you've wanted to start a podcast before, all of these weird and kooky fun things await. Hmm. So get on it. 
Haven't heard many new Doctor Who podcasts in a, in a little while, you know. No. Normally there's about, I'd say there's about three or four that spring up every year. And normally one of them out of that collection carry on for longer than a year. But this year I've not seen too many pop up. There was no. one that looked kind of cool. Uh, that I started listening to a few weeks back, which is kind of cool. But yeah, it's it's normally because it's weird because the podcasting industry as a whole is growing very quickly and stuff. Yeah, everybody's doing a podcast now, aren't they? The name of said show, there was a couple that I thought, yeah, they they were they were pretty sweet because I did I do listen to quite a few. Well, I say quite a few, a few other Doctor Who podcasts these days. Mm. Uh, the first one was called bit of a shout out to these guys the first one was called a hamster with a blunt pen knife <laughs> great name yeah which is cool done by a guy called joe ford what is, is that cool. about like what is the podcast about uh it's commentaries on um on uh on various uh doctor who episodes oh right. just it doesn't sound like a doctor who podcast yeah it just gets other people on uh, so basically you, you, it's one of those, you kind of, you're supposed to be watching along an episode while he's talking about it and he gets yeah. people on stuff. It's kind of cool. Uh, that's kind of cool. And the other one I can't actually find. So apologies. Other one. <laughs> that's your name at the minute. Other one. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's called, uh, no, no, I should have prepared before we started recording. So yes, ignore me. While uh, Gary's looking for that, I'll tell you that. I, well, well, genuinely, while you were uh, on your holes uh, last week, I, I listened to uh, Proctor Who, who I've been listening to for many years. But um, they did a couple of anniversary episodes, and because uh, it was it's seven years since they started. Oh wow! And Mark, yeah. who I think started the podcast, he, he left. He's left a couple of times, but he left um, properly uh, a few months back, or maybe a year back. I'm not sure. And um, but he's come back for these anniversary podcasts and, and it was just such a chilled two episodes. It was just him and he, he, and, uh, he just had a really sort of laid back chat with the guys that um, he does the podcast with, like the original members and stuff. And that was that was great. I really enjoyed that. And I also like um, the Lost on Gallifrey podcast. Uh, those two guys, <laughs> they I, I've said it before. They remind me of like they're me and you sort of a younger version. <laughs> it's, like, it's like us as... as uh, 20 something so, so that's a cool podcast oh, yeah, nice. but not they're, yeah. they're not one for if you if you like the jody era they're probably not for you because uh, they're not a fan of the jody era but those guys are great um, i really really like those their podcast mm. yeah yeah i've been going for a while yeah yes and also yeah the, the other one um proctor who uh, yeah, that's what I was saying about the anniversary one. Yeah, they're really cool. So um, is he back for good or is this just a... No, no, no. Mark just popped back for a little bit. Because ah, okay. uh, um, Bob Fleming, who does the podcast <laughs> now, um, he, he used to be quite wild. Uh, I think he said on the podcast he stopped drinking. He's so <laughs> mellow compared to how he used to be. Like uh, the, the the swear button used to have to be pressed quite a lot when Bob was on. <laughs> but yeah, he's, uh, he's really chilled out now. It's quite strange. I remember the early days. Of Proctor Who. I think you and I spoke about it on one of our episodes. I think you said, oh, I found this cool Doctor Who podcast. Yeah. And started listening to it. And then I thought, yeah, it's a good show, that. Yes, it is. It is good. Yes, indeedy. How have you been, mate? Have you done anything Doctor Who related over the past uh, week? A little bit, yeah. Um, I listened to a vinyl. 
spinning the decks I was. Oh, nice. I listened to the new uh, Myth Makers vinyl. Have you got a vinyl yeah. player? Have you got a, a deck? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool, cool. A, yeah, I've got a player, yeah. It's just, um, it's a bit of a faff because I have to plug it into this sort of external speaker thing. I haven't got it set up properly. But yeah, yeah, I bought a couple of vinyls recently and I thought, Do you know what, I've, I should listen to them rather than just look at them and go, oh, that's a nice cover. So I listened to the Myth Makers. It was... Um, it's because I wanted to do a review of it. I thought, well, I better listen to it so I actually know what I'm talking about. And uh, I've never heard that story before. It's like, um, it's a, you know, it's a William Hartnell story and, uh, you know, I love Hartnell and I thought it's one that I'm aware of. It's, it's quite a famous one. And um, I wasn't sure what, what it was going to be like. I thought, oh, is it like a historical? Is it going to be really boring or what? Um, I, I really loved it. It was kind of one of those, you know, some of the Hartnell ones, they've got that sort of, I'm trying to think like the the, Romans, you know, where it's got that sort of slightly comedic edge to it. Mm, <laughs> so it's yeah. less serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like that. Uh, it was really good fun. And Hartnell's ro- in it pretty much all the way through. You know, like sometimes he goes on holiday for a week. <laughs> in this one, he's in it all the way through and he's really good at it. So um, I found myself getting really into that one. And I quite enjoyed it. So it's, it's totally missing as well. So you not there's not even any telly snaps for it it's a completely like the only way you can currently uh experience that story is through the vinyl it's through the audio i mean i think you can download it and there was a cd of it back in the day and stuff but yeah so that's the only way you can you know enjoy the myth makers is on audio um yeah it's really good so i listened to that and uh, found that enjoyable it's just so good to hear a sudden hartnell i hadn't ever experienced before because mm. i just love him and there is a couple of bits where he's really going for it and i was thinking oh i wish we could see this uh, you know it'd be amazing uh the only other thing i've done is um I've, I've just finished reading matt lucas's autobiography uh very randomly this is again this is me going through stuff that i've bought over the years and not actually read or listened to so i was like oh, i bought matt lucas's biography ages ago never read it and i was aware that there was a doctor who bit in it so i thought all right let's give that a go uh, quite enjoyable biography, but and there is a cool bit in Doctor Who. On Doctor Who, he talks about working on Peter and Pearl, and um, he also says that his partner at the time, who sadly uh, died, um, was a massive Doctor Who fan, huge Doctor Who fan. So when they got together and they got married, Matt Lucas um, <laughs> bought him Doctor Who stuff, and one of the things he bought him was the original Eccleston TARDIS prop. And he said, for, wow. so for ages we had, you know, the actual prop that was used in the Eccleston series. He said for ages we had it, you know, in the basement of our flat when we put, like, lights in it and stuff. And, you know, people used to love it. They'd come over and they'd have to go and have a picture in the TARDIS and stuff. And I thought, oh, amazing. Um, but then, yeah, sort of, long story short, you know, him and his partner split up and before his partner died. And his partner took the TARDIS with him to Edinburgh. And Matt Lucas says, I've no idea where it is now. It's just could be anywhere <laughs> so oh, i was God. like oh no so where is Eccleston's tardis it's went to edinburgh and it hasn't been seen since apparently but yeah so that was quite cool so got some good little interesting little nuggets of, of info from matt because um i remember when he was in you know they said he was going to carry on as an adult i think a lot of people were like how's that going to work because he seemed like a sort of one-off character didn't he but that's right yeah. he actually went on to be a really fun part of series 10 wasn't he it's was like a really nice character mm. Uh, to, to to bring back um yeah what was it i think Stephen moffat did that with someone else it was oh no i'm thinking of Catherine tate i was gonna say it happened a couple of times that people were like you know someone was announced and you'd be thinking that ain't gonna work and yet they turn out to be absolutely brilliant and uh 
Yeah, I like old Nardy. Old Nardy, yeah. Old Nardy. Well, I like him in Series 10. I can't really, I don't really like the episode, Husband's River Song. But the, the weird thing is, Matt Lucas said, um, starts the chapter in Dot 2 by saying, when he was offered it, he'd always swore he would never do Doctor Who. And I thought, oh no, why? Why would he, you know, why would he say that? He says, I always said I would never be in Doctor Who. Um, but then he goes on to explain why, and it's all because of, you know, what happened with his um, husband, and uh, it's all to do with emotional stuff, not that he didn't, didn't want to be in it. And, um, yeah, he talks about sort of sitting at the read-through and and just sitting there thinking, you know, I said I'd never do this, and I'm, I'm feeling all the emotions I knew I was going to feel. What am I doing here? And it's like, it's, yeah, it's really strange to think that someone's going through all that, and it's a good little insight into his time on Doctor Who. That sounds I think cool, he must have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good little chapter. I think he must have still been in the show when he was writing it, because I think he's, even by the end of the book, he's still talking about being in, in the show. So, right, yeah. Right. yeah. But so that's cool. So, yeah, apart from that, that that's been my sort of who stuff oh, in the last cool. sort of week. Um, yeah, I haven't really done much else. That TARDIS is going to appear in yeah, someone's garden somewhere. In about 20 years' time, <laughs> there will be a, an article online about trying to identify the origin of that prop because it's been rained on and everything in someone's yeah. garden. Yeah. And they'll try and figure out where it came from. Yeah. I, I think he's, I think he said he bought a Dalek as well, a full size Dalek after he bought the TARDIS, yeah. but he said they couldn't get it in the London flat and they took it away again, but he doesn't elaborate on it. So I don't know what happened to that Dalek. So mm. somewhere out there, there's a TARDIS and a Dalek owned by Matt Lucas, but um, where they are, I don't know. <laughs> mm. I could, that, that would never happen with me. I couldn't, the OCD in me could never let that happen. <laughs> You'd have to get one of those little label makers. And oh, yeah, yeah. In an but it, inconspicuous <laughs> place where you wouldn't see it right away. You'd have to look for it on the inside somewhere. Property of yeah. Adam Charlton. Do not touch. Yes. Yeah, Hands off. Hands off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I cool, don't think, because you, you've been down, in, down uh, in Cornwall, haven't you? So I doubt you've had any time to do anything, Dot Two, have you? No, mate. Now I've been down in no. sunny Cornwall. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoying the sea air, some fresh air and going off are the grid you, for a while. Yeah. Are you going to do a comedy Cornish accent to get us into trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I will not. No. Oh, okay. Um, but no, it's, uh, it was really nice to just be away. Sometimes when I've gone on holiday, because me and my family, we typically, we have a couple of shorter breaks in the UK, but our main trip is normally over Christmas. Christmas and New Year, we go away, and we typically end up do, we end up doing a city break most of the time. So I normally go hunting for comic book shops and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. I normally bump into uh, some Doctor Who stuff as I'm out and about, or in the hotel I watch like the what used to be the Christmas special and stuff like that. But this was a, a sunny beachy vacation, if you know what I mean. So there wasn't yeah. you know there wasn't any, and I, I did have a look. I did have a sneaky look. Uh, while we were there and then one day we did drive off to another town that was close to where we we were and i did find a really cool little comic book shop actually i'll give them a shout out in case anyone's down that way it's called into the realm um just make sure i'm saying that properly into the realm cornwall uh yeah independent comics and science fiction shop it was a cool little shop actually i ended up buying about um, a, sort of a dozen single issue comics and a couple of Funkos and stuff like that. It's really weird because I've been after a couple of Funkos. I, I know I'm, I don't really do them these days. I know. I was just about to say. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm kind of into the. Uh, uh, I, I started off getting one of the Batman 
uh, Funkos, but it was from the the old animated series. Uh, so I thought I saw, I got one of those a while ago, and I thought, yeah, I want to get a few more of them. Couldn't find them anywhere online. Like Amazon had sold out, like the usual suspects. Mm. I was in this coin book shop; they had loads of them, like loads mm. that you would normally see are sold out online so i picked a couple of those up and i ended up chatting to the lady that owns the the shop she was really nice but it was yeah it's a really cool little uh comic book shoppers inevitably for these guys to stay in business these days comic book shops and not just comics these days anyone that's been into them in the last i don't know 10 15 years i suppose they have to branch out now into toys and collectibles mm-hmm. and all sorts so they've got a, a, a fair few of those as well action figures and stuff. It was a really nice little shop. So that was the closest that I got to um, uh, anything kind of collectible Doctor Who. I did see a, a few Doctor Who comics there. And it was the older ones that they used to do in like the trade paperback, you know, like the classic Doctor ones. And, uh, um, you know, like the McCoy, uh, you know what I'm trying, you know, like the old McCoy ones. Hold on. Yeah, you get like the old McCoy ones, the Hartnell ones. They they were out about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Is it the IDW ones? The IDW ones, that's it, yeah. Yeah. They had about 10, maybe 15 of those. Mm, Most of them. them for there. ages. Yeah. And that dude was the closest I got to anything Who related. Yeah. yeah. Probably but nice it, to have a break. <laughs> but that was it, mate. Yeah, that was the, the point of it. Yeah, was to, because um, I'd not had any time off since December last year because mm. i changed jobs and stuff and busy 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 and stuff so yeah it was really nice to to bugger off for a little while and, and not do anything like that but yeah that's yeah, it's always nice to get away indeedy now we're back into it mate we've got a busy end of the year coming up i would say because we have probably another six to eight weeks worth of regular stuff and then i'm assuming hopefully <laughs> that series 13 is going to drop in the next month or two yeah, there's a lot of rumours at end of October, isn't there? A lot of rumours around um, 31st of October. I, don't, I mean, I don't know where people are getting that from. Probably just guessing. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to think we could be reviewing some new Who fairly soon. Defo, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're back into it, mate. Before you know it, we'll be pulling crackers around the, the Christmas dinner table and... I am surprised this year is flying by, <laughs> apart mm. from the last week. Uh, but uh, this year is... I can't believe we're in September. It's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts, mate. It's all yeah. they, It's always for me. It's always September. Whenever, whenever we click into September, yes. that for me, oh, for some reason, feels like we're at the end of the year almost. I think it's <laughs> like a, it's a weird psychological thing with the way that September is spelt and said because it's an ember. You know, the last few months. You know, it, 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 for me, it feels like right. Halloween's around the corner. Once yeah. Halloween's out of the way, then it's Christmas, and then twenty twenty two is upon us. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, mm. with that. Anyway, that's what we've been up to. Before we crack on, we have got one bit of news. Not really news, it's a bit of merch, but it's a cool bit yeah. of merch. But before we crack on with the rest of the show, uh, remember to follow our podcast, listen for free on whatever podcast you prefer to listen to your podcast on. A new show lands every single Friday. So if you follow us on anything like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Amazon podcasts, you know, Google, all of that stuff. We're on all of that stuff. Then, um, yeah, that'd be cool. Cause you won't miss a show. You'll be able to listen to all of them every week, which is nice. Uh, we're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can search for us on those apps, or if you head over to our website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk, there are links to everything on there. Give us a like and a follow on the socials as we chat Dr. Who and bits and bobs throughout the week. 
and we have a free Discord server as well. Uh, it takes just 30 seconds to sign up, uh, come and hang out and chat Doctor Who with plenty of other Doctor Who fans. And also, remember to check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yeah, go check it out. I've been beavering away, for, literally for non-stop pretty much for the last two weeks, uh, trying to make a couple of new videos. So, um, yeah, go and check them out. Uh, got a little review of the new Terence Dix books, which are cool. I saw that, mate. And, uh, d- yeah, yeah nice. and I've got a... By the time this podcast goes, I should have a new video out um, taking a look at that Mythmakers vinyl I was talking about. So, yeah, go and check out the new vids. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, so go and... Ch- I say every week, and I, I mean it sincerely every week, go and get comfy, get a drink, and settle in and watch loads of, uh, of videos on Adam's channel. Very, very cool. Geeky stuff. And Adam's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Go and stalk him. Go and chat <laughs> sci-fi and Doctor Who. That's it. Right, let's land it, dude, and talk about this bit of news. Alrighty. So apparently, there was quite a bit going on in Blackpool back in the 70s and 80s for Doctor <laughs> Who. Yeah. So I'm led to believe. I wasn't alive then. I love saying that. Well, I was alive when they were doing um, some exhibitions into the early 80s, but I wouldn't have remembered it. Yeah. Which is nice. I love saying that. Because I normally uh, feel making old. me feel really old, because I, I, I do go do. to Blackpool <laughs> and I do vaguely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Blackpool was home to uh, some exhibitions uh, from Doctor Who back in the 70s before I was born and the uh, the 80s. And then he did another rerun uh, in the early 2000s. And to uh, have a a trip down memory lane and to catalogue a lot of this stuff, there's a new ebook that has just landed. It's called Blackpool Revisited. And it looks at the history of these famous exhibitions and and all that stuff. It's a follow-up to another ebook that they did last year called Blackpool Remembered. So this is the follow-up to that. And as I said, it goes through and charts uh, all the history of these exhibitions. And the first one, which ran from 1974 through to 85, uh, and then David Boyle's Doctor Who Museum, uh, which was open from 2004 to 09. And uh, it's also got... um, It's it's that kind of coffee table book where it's just got tons of photos, uh, loads of supporting text that take you through... Uh, uh, all the history and so on. And a little bit of blurb from the forward from Lorne Martin says, the reaction to the first book inspired us to do another one, this time even bigger, 600 pages. 600 pages with content from over 90 contributors, as well as more memories and nostalgia from the original exhibition. We take a detailed journey through Doctor Who, through the Doctor Who Museum, alongside a look at the life of its curator, uh, David Boyle. Uh, We also look at the Blackpool Illuminations, Edwin Hall Dalek Rides, Sevens Models, DePaul Toys, The Hoomobile, Interviews with Artists, Andrew Skilleter, Rod Vass and Graham Potts, plus much more. And I took a look at the website earlier. You can see a really nice uh, cover and stuff. And just a reminder, this is a free ebook. So I'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's a PDF and just have at it. It sounds like a really cool book. I've already downloaded it. I'm going to take a read over the weekend. So yeah, seems like a good book, this one, dude. Yeah, I was going to say these are lovely. I mean, I, I know I'm always banging on that like I'm a physical product person and the stuff, but the amount of work that's gone into this, I'm definitely downloading this and having a look. It's, um, wow, what a lovely thing to do. And the fact it's free as well. 
Uh, yeah, I'm definitely downloading this, uh, mate. Can I can I have a look at that? As I said, I do, I do. You know, I've got very vague memories. I don't know what how old I would have been or what year, but I do remember my dad taking me. Well, my mum and dad taking me to um, the Blackpool exhibition because I can remember walking down and seeing the TARDIS console, but I didn't realise it at the time. But it wasn't like the proper. It was like one that had been made especially for the exhibition. I think it's like an unofficial, but to me, it just looked amazing. Um, so, but that's all I can remember about it. <laughs> but God knows what year that was or how old I was. I, I, I probably don't want to know. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> probably would have been the eighties. I think. Leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure it was the eighties. <laughs> okay, uh, and then just a nice little nugget of uh, an additional bit of stuff to look at when you go onto the website for for um, uh, for the ebook. If you scroll down past where the download button is, keep going they reference the cover artist, which is a guy called Alex Storer. And they put a link to his website where they've, uh, where he's got some other uh, really cool artwork that he's done, not just for Doctor Who, but like oh, fantasy yes. and sci-fi. There is a Doctor Who section and he's put some work, artwork on there that he did for Doctor Who magazine over the years. And some of that, there's not a lot on there. There's about a dozen or so pieces, but it's gorgeous. Really nice work. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Yeah. So go and check it out. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And free. And it's free. <laughs> yeah, of course. You can't yeah. go wrong, can you? Yeah. So Blackpool Revisited, go and give that a download. Uh, an interesting look at some of the stuff that happened before I was born. When Adam was <laughs> All alive. right. Keep <laughs> <in>. <laughs> right, that's it for news, mate. What are we going to do for review this week? Yeah, so this week it's the fifth Doctor and his very first adventure called Castrovelva. That's the trouble with regeneration. You never quite know what you're going to get. I'm the Doctor. Or will be if this regeneration works out. We need to take him somewhere uncomplicated. Somewhere away from technology. Classic plainness, as exemplified by regions like dwellings of simplicity. Castrovalva. Someone's manipulating Castrovalva. <laughs> Regeneration is failing. We're heading straight into the biggest explosion in history. <laughs> that laugh, I know. Oh, dear. <laughs> There's one bit where he must laugh for about, feels like five minutes. And you just imagine the director going, keep going, Anthony. Keep going. Bit more laughter, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah, Reja. Yeah, Fiona Cumming was like, I've watched a few cartoons recently, <laughs> and the baddie always has this evil cackle laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do that. Anyway, Castrovalva. Castrovalva was released, or first broadcast, sorry, back on the 4th of January, and it finished up on the 12th of January. Four episodes, 25 minutes each. It was written by Christopher Bidmead, directed by Fiona Cumming, uh, overseen by Eric Saywood and John Nathan Turner. Peter Davison is first outing properly as the Doctor, accompanied by Matthew Waterhouse, Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding. And the synopsis is the Doctor's, the doctor's latest regen has proven most unstable. 
and uh, his two companions, Tegan and Nyssa, help him recuperate on the tranquil planet of Castrovalva. Adric has been captured by the Master, who is taking advantage of the Doctor's weakened state to ensnare him in an elaborate trap whose recursive nature threatens to destroy his mind. As the Doctor begins to recover, he realises that the Master's trap for Adric is even more intricate than he could have imagined, and that he will stop at nothing to gain his revenge over the Doctor. Which sounds yeah, rather ah, good. Ah, ah, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> oh man! So, Castro Valva, dude, hit me up. Castro Valva. Yeah, I've always had a soft spot for this one because uh, I absolutely blimmin' loved it as a kid. Uh, it fascinated <laughs> me all the stuff with the TARDIS. It's funny because I I have to try and sort of um, take off my rose tinted glasses when we do reviews because I, I find this really enjoyable. But if you if you watch it. Um, you know, as a piece, as a script, and try and analyze it is as good Doctor Who. It, um, it is a strange story, and it, it, it's uh, some of it doesn't really work at all. Um, but I, I, I've always liked it. I, I just find it enjoyable, and um, just I just love it when they explore the TARDIS. And I think so does Christopher Bidmead, because if you think about Legopolis, the story before it, he explored the TARDIS a lot, and and again in this episode, in this story, sorry, the first two episodes, pretty much are entirely inside the TARDIS, which is um, quite a bold move, really. And I don't think it's something they would do today, necessarily, especially not as an introduction to the, a new Doctor. I think it's a really strange introduction to the new Doctor. But I think for when it was made and, and the time, it just somehow it just totally works. So, um, I, I, I just think, yeah, it's, I just find it a really fun watch. It, it, it does plod a bit, I must admit, uh, watching it again yesterday. I watched it two episodes at a time. Um, I think episode three is, it's that dreaded episode three. It does, there is a lot of walking around. <laughs> um, the first sort of 10 minutes of the episode seem a bit disjointed, actually, I notice. Um, so, yeah, I, I will, I could totally understand if somebody was watching this and they weren't really into it, they would find it a bit of a slog in places. Um, but because I loved it as a kid and every time I watch it, it just takes me back to being in front of the TV watching it. I just love it. All the, all the stuff, the zero cabinet I was obsessed with as a child. I, I, I turned one of my parents um, like a wardrobe or something. I don't know what it was. I, I remember getting this white sort of cabinet and putting it on the floor and I would lay in it and um, pretend it was a zero cabinet. <laughs> drove, drove my parents nuts. So something about this story, very much like the Gopolis, just captured my imagination as a kid and I, I i love it so every time i watch it it just takes you back to being being a child really um but i, I think it's i think it's got some great stuff in it as well I, I don't think it's just nostalgia the reason i like it i think there is some really interesting ideas i still love it when they're trying to escape from castrovalva and it's closing in on itself i think that's brilliant you know and i think i love the effects as well for the time i think it's great the way they sort of fragment the the screen to make it look all disjointed um and i like the i like the fact that peter's doctor's um struggling the regeneration is not quite working I, I love all that stuff at the start it does go on a little bit too long i think i think by the time he gets to cash 12 you kind of want him to be the doctor but um but i love all the stuff at the start and him going into the zero room and and all that stuff and and unraveling the doctor's scarf which i remember at the time being like what no you can't do that that's sacred uh, all that stuff and seeing the scenes where he gets his costume and all the stuff that you love from a regeneration story i think is kind of thrown in in this one he does impressions of the other doctors which 
are a bit cringy to be honest but i still like it and he references loads of things like canine and i think he calls nissa vicky at one point and all that stuff mentions romana there's just lovely little things thrown in for for the fans and um yeah I don't know. It's, impression it's, yeah the Hartle impression <laughs> and yeah uh, i think he does a terrible trout impression at one point doesn't mm. he so it's like come on jamie you know it's a bit cringe but um yeah, uh, there's a, I don't know. There's a lot to enjoy in this story. I think I, I, I've always had a soft spot for it, so it's going to get a thumbs up from me. I do think it's odd, and I do think um, I could totally understand people who don't enjoy it or find it a slog. But I, there's something about it that I've always just really liked. I never really get tired of watching it. The Legopolis and this one back to back, I just love them really, mm. Mm. and they flow quite nicely from one to the other. I think as well. Mm. Yeah. So, what do you reckon? Because mm. <laughs> you like the Gopolis, don't you? I remember when we reviewed it. Yes. You like the Gopolis, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I actually quite like Castrovalva. Oh dear. Oh right. Okay. Good. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit like that. I, I always put it down to the nostalgia, but yeah, I always think that because it is odd. Strange. It's a it? strange yeah. intro episode, isn't it, for for the new Doctor? It is a bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird mix of. You can see what they were trying to do, absolutely, with the whole. Um, you know, he's not he's not quite sure what's happening to him. He knows he's regenerated, but he's not got his head together yet, and his cells mm. are you know rebuilding and stuff. They, I think, they play a lot on that in the, the modern Doctor Who defo, where they go a bit more sciency with it. Uh, even though Nissa does throw in a couple of little lines about, you know, his cells are doing whatever and, you know, mm. that's all cool. And uh, and the reason why he needs to um, get to Castrovalva is because there's, you know, that's a particular place, you know, even though the master's orchestrated it, you know, he, he thinks it's mm. a place where he can, you know, calmly finish his regeneration and stuff. And that's why he needs the zero room and all that stuff. So it's a little bit, you know, they play on that. Uh, which is kind of cool, but I do agree with you. I think it does go on for a little bit to, it's pretty much up until halfway through episode three, really, that he's still got that, you know, who's the doctor? I'm looking for him as well. Kind of yeah, that's thing right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's sort of collapsing on the floor and, you know, you kind of want him to be the doctor by that point. It, yeah, it did remind yeah. me a little bit of um, Tenant in the Christmas Invasion where he's, <laughs> he literally only turns into doctor in the last sort of five minutes you know mm. but uh, so it's a little bit like that in a way yeah yeah it's a bit yeah because it's not till the end he puts on the celery is it the very last scene he plonks mm. on the celery on the on the jacket and he's getting in the tardis and he's fully back to health and you think oh right he's now the doctor but it's literally the very end really mm-hmm. up until then he has moments but he's really sort of struggling with the regeneration isn't he yeah and that part of it, it, it if you look at that in isolation that's very cool especially the first couple of episodes where he's wandering around the TARDIS and he's unraveling the scarf, you know, even though Tom Baker fans are passing out (laughs) with disgust that he's, you know, picking apart the scarf and... And he rips the waistcoat as well. I never noticed just it, yeah. Yeah, so Tom Baker fans have probably thrown their remote across the the room (laughs) at this point and, you know, declared that they were never watching Doctor Who again. But that was all cool, that bit where he was getting rid of his, you know, that transition to shedding if you like it's almost like a metaphor he's like shedding the skin of the literally the clothes of the previous doctor and now he's finding his own mm. outfit and and all that stuff it just goes on for too long though so i think that's why it feels like a bit of a slog because 
when you get into, especially when you get to the end of episode two and you think, right, the cliffhanger is potentially going to be, he's now sort of, you know, the light bulb moment where he remembers exactly who he is and what he needs to do and stuff, but that doesn't happen. And then when you get into episode three, you think, right, he's almost getting there, but he's still a bit weak and, you know, stuff's happening. And then, like you said, it's not until the final sort of moments and that final part, really, the final act where he actually, you know, becomes his doctor, you know, his version of doctor and stuff. So I think that's for me anyway, why it feels, why it feels like a slog. It's just a bit of a, come on, dude, you know, you need to wake up and it just needs mm. somebody to give him a brandy and a shot across the face, <laughs> wake him up a bit. You just want to shake him. You just want to like, come on, it's time to be doctor who for, uh, for at least two of these episodes out of the four. So it does feel like a bit of a slog, but um, yeah, it's episode three. I think when he's in the cabinet, there's too much of them carrying him around and trying to get the cabinet to Castrovelva. It's just, um, it's just too much filler going on there. You just need to cut from, yeah, he's in the, he gets in the cabinet, they get to Castrovelva, and then this because the story sort of moves on. Then once they get to Castrovelva, we mm. do get some interesting stuff going on. Like I said, when they're trying to escape and the stuff with Paul Treve and you get to meet some new characters and stuff is finally happening. But yeah, episode three, uh, like a lot of Doctor Who's just kind of kills, kills the momentum a bit. Cause it is literally just them walking through the forest. They drop the wheelchair in the water. You know what I mean? It's just too much padding in episode three. It's a shame really, but yeah. I, I can, you know, it's, it, it doesn't bother me too much, but yeah, it would have been nice to have cut to the chase a bit more. Cause I think when they get to Legopolis, it gets quite interesting again, you know, some lovely scenes and, uh, there's a great bit when the doctor's trying to count and that little kid comes up to him. He's like, one, two, and she goes, three. He goes, yes, that's what I was thinking. And it's a lovely scene. And it really reminds me of Troughton. It reminds me of Troughton in like um, the mind robber or something. It's a, mm. just the doctor being really charming. And uh, and then he remembers Andrick, doesn't he? He's like, oh, you should get a star for mathematical excellence. And he's like, Andrick, you know, and all that. And I think there's some really good, nice bits of writing uh, in the fourth episode. I mean, that might even be the third, but I don't think it is. But anyway, yeah, once they get to Castrovelva, things sort of pick up again, I think. Mm, it's such yeah. a ridiculous, elaborate plan. This is what I mean. If, I, if I'm just watching this for my own personal enjoyment, I don't really question it. I just enjoy the story. But when I'm watching it for review, I'm thinking yesterday, why is the master going to all of this trouble? He could so easily just, you know, kill the doctor if he wanted to i know it's all about the cat and mouse sort of thing but it's a ridiculously elaborate plan just to kill the doctor isn't it and it's when he's trying to break into the cabin at the end it's almost laughable it's like why did why have you done all this just to lure him the cabinet there it, it, it doesn't really make any sense um <laughs> but you kind of just go with it i suppose don't you in a way yeah a bit like the tapestry yeah. i'm like what's the tapestry about that's just weird like that tapestry screen. I mean, it's, I like it because it is strange. But what's it about? Like <laughs> The it's tapestry weird. with a monitor on it. I don't know. And Adric's projecting from beyond it. Because that's the other thing I was thinking yesterday as well. Adric's on the TARDIS at the beginning, but he's not really there. So he's a projection. <laughs> and again, that doesn't really add up if you think about it too much. But yeah, I don't know. I just try not to think too much about it. And I, I find it quite enjoyable if I don't delve into it too much yeah because <laughs> i think the performances bit... are fun aren't they <laughs> yeah oh definitely yeah and it, it can get a little bit sort of mind melty if you um if you try and if you try and stick to the the master's plan too much yeah. it is very elaborate because at, whole... at first you think oh he's just trying to blow the tardis up by sending it into 
uh, what was it? The inrush. Um, was it, you know what I mean? The yeah, yeah. When it's all heating up and yeah, about, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think, um, oh, okay, he's just trying to literally just destroy the TARDIS with the Doctor inside, and and that's it. He's off to the beach. But then yeah. you realise that oh, the the hydrogen inrush. That was it. Yes. It. Uh, but then you realise that no, that was just in fact a small piece of the um of the Grand plan. plan. Yeah. Because <laughs> even though the Master seems quite um, uh, miffed. He's like, that's impossible. You know, when he sees the TARDIS appear on yeah, the Yeah, show know. me. Yeah. yeah. He just, that lasts for about a second, it feels like, because then he's just sort of grinning again. He's like, oh, yeah, I've got a backup plan <laughs> in the back pocket. So this one's going to be a, a slow burn, though. It's going to be a belter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's a shame, you know, about the whole, what we were saying about part three being a little bit, it does feel a little bit filler. And mm-hmm. that plagues some of the four parts from Classic Who. But um, yeah, because they shifted the the broadcast schedule, didn't they, for this series onwards? Well, for this particular series, anyway, it used to go out on a what was it, a Saturday or a Friday? When was it? it Saturday, I think. Saturday, yeah. yeah. And uh, they moved it, didn't they, to a Monday and Tuesday early evening slot. Um, but loads of people complained because for some reason they were missing part two. They didn't realize that part two was going to land the next day. All right. Yeah. So they just thought that next (laughs) Monday you'd have part two and onwards and onwards. So a lot of people actually missed out on part two, which is a shame because for them, they would have gone to part one straight to part three, which was the Mm. bit of the filler one. So for them, for those, because back in the day, you have to remember some of our younger listeners, you have to remember that back then, there was no Sky Plus, there was no catch-up TV, no streaming services. It was like you watched it or you didn't. That's um, right, yeah. Or you kind of, back with the VHS recorders, some of them you could set a timer, but it was based on a real-world clock. So it was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> later on today, I'm going to record Doctor Who. But if you didn't even know it was on the following night, that was useless as well. You wouldn't, you just wouldn't know. Because I imagine that not a lot of people would have stuck around. You know, back in the day that used to be the the announcer on cable, um, on terrestrial television in here in the UK, it used to be, tune in tomorrow for the continuation of Doctor Who, Castro Valve, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. If you'd have just turned over or turned off as soon as the outro theme kicked in, you would have missed that. Yeah, because they didn't used to do it over the credits like they do now. No. They used to rate wait right till the end of the, the thing had finished didn't they yeah and then yeah. they would tell you not like now that the picture didn't shrink and then <laughs> exactly yeah they didn't yeah, do yeah, this thing they had that. each channel had their own little ident so when the credits finished you then had like bbc used to use a lot of globes like a spinning globe that's right um yeah. with the number one in the back or the or the two whatever and then the announcer would do that little bit in between shows it wouldn't be over the credits as you said so, yeah, it's unfortunate for those people that thought it was coming back a week later. Only you've missed part two <laughs> and then think, what the bloody hell's going on here? And why is it so boring? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, I think they tanked it. Not tanked it. They, they changed it because it tanked so hard. And, um, yeah, not good. No, I was going to say, what is going on with the, the master and Adric though in that? That's another thing that's just bizarre. It's just, it's almost quite creepy, isn't it? The fact he's got Adric sort of spun up in this metal web and the little, why, why does he need this little ramp to rise him up and down? Why does he bother with it? Why doesn't he just leave the ramp? Because <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen the studio footage of this, mate, but 
So there's no talking until from the st- moment he leaves the floor to the until he doesn't talk again till mm-hmm. he gets an eye level with Adric. Um, it's because if you watch the studio footage, that ramp was so blimmin' noisy in the studio. So it's got like a motor that they they couldn't do any dialogue <laughs> until he gets to the top, so that they could they could dub out the, the awful mm-hmm. sound. It's so loud as well. I watched a little bit of the studio footage. It's like, so I'm coming up to see you, Adric. <laughs> and then you hear Fiona Cummings go and speak, and he can carries on the scene. It's so funny. Uh, it feels like longer, need though, that doesn't it? Oh, it feels like forever. The ramp feels like it's going up for a while. It's, it reminds me <laughs> Why of. Why can't um, you have some stairs? <laughs> it reminds me of um, anyone that's seen the Austin Powers movies. There's a couple oh. of scenes where Doctor Evil's like messing around with his chair. Like the dialogue stops and he's trying to raise his chair up and it's going up and down for ages. It feels like it's happening forever. Yeah. And then it just, it feels like that kind of, um, obviously it's unintentional, but it's very comedic kind of, well, we've built this now, so we're going to bloody yes. use it. <laughs> That's exactly what I think must have happened. Yeah. They were like, well, because you would think the director would say, do you know what? That's unusable. Let's just start the scene <laughs> with the master at the top. <laughs> like we don't need to see him rise up. But no, I can only assume they were like, well, we've spent all this money on this thing with this motor. We need to use it. Oh, okay then. Because <laughs> do it why twice as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get their money's worth. But th- those scenes are unintentionally funny anyway. I just think, I swear you can see Matthew Waterhouse laughing as well. <laughs> I, I'm sure he doesn't realise he's in shot at one point. It's I think it's the first or second time the master's rising up on the ramp to you know to talk to him. I swear you can just see Matthew Waterhouse laughing at him, as if to say. And then as soon as he gets to the top, he goes back into character. He's like serious. I don't think he knew it was on camera. Because yeah. <laughs> either that or he just couldn't hold it. I mean, you can understand it. Maybe he just couldn't hold in the laughter. I wouldn't have been able to, I don't think. I wasn't a fan of Anthony Ainley in this one, you know, mate. Really? Yeah. And, and it's not because anything towards um, Anthony Ainley. I think he's a good master, great master. I just felt that he was written to be really um, just uh, comic booky, if that makes sense. Um, I, I do know what you mean. I mean, I, I like him in it, but I do get what you're saying. He is written to be panto villain. All the exactly laughter that, yeah. and the, the, the sort of, it, he's written to be over the top, isn't he? Yeah, and he doesn't do, he doesn't do anything either. I mean, he doesn't do anything physically. Because mm. if you think about the scenes that he's in throughout the entire story... He's either just standing still. He's just on the spot standing still, talking to Adric when he's in the big web thing. Um, or he's knocking about very slowly as the Portrieve. But then when he comes out of his disguise as the Portrieve, you think then that there's going to be a bit of a... It would get a bit tasty at that point. Mm. <laughs> but he just kind of wobbles around on the spot like... That's what I mean. He's got this elaborate plan, and then what does he do? He just, yeah, and I do know exactly what yeah, you mean. You, you can't I will see, see your this. face one last time. <laughs> yeah, you can't see this, listener. Adam can see me because we're on Skype video, but I'm kind of bending my knees and just rocking backwards and forwards with my hands out. It's <laughs> like a chicken. But that's what he does, though, and he, he never runs after anybody. He doesn't go to slap anyone, and he doesn't do anything, really. And I think the most he ever does is he, um, he, he, He's try he thinks that the doctor's inside the um the what you call it the zero cabinet yeah so he, he he's like doctor come out sort of thing and then he in anger he sort of throws it's it on this onto little the- weird poker doesn't he 
uh, to try and get into it as well. It's like, what's that? Yeah, it's got, like a... <laughs> surely the master would have some sort of, uh, you know, where's his tissue compression exactly, thingy? Yeah. Like he's got this tiny little poker trying to get into the cabinet. It's crazy. Yeah, I thought it was a crowbar at first, but it's just this little weird, you know. And then in anger, he just throws it on the floor and we know that they've, you know, filled it with books and stuff. Yeah. And even then he's just on the spot. He's just wiggling around and... Yeah, so I, I love Anthony Ainley, don't get me wrong, but I, th- I felt like the master, in, as the master in this one, he was just really, just really panto for the sake of it. Like, he's no, mm. in in terms of on, on paper, looking at the story on paper, it should be like the Doctor's on the ropes and everybody is on the ropes throughout the entire thing because of his plan. But it feels like he's not really taken seriously. Like, mm. the only person that's really um, sort of up against it is Adric, really, because Adric's the one that's been captured and he's being held against his will and the Master's really manipulating him to a point. And although Adric is able to reach out a couple of times to Nyssa and stuff, really, he's just... There's no way for Adric to escape, really. He has to be rescued. So Adric's really, for me, the only person that feels any kind of proper threat from the Master. Everyone else, even when cash revolvers kind of imploding on itself and we have that recursion thing going on mm. even then it's just like a carry-on film where they're just sort of running around the same set that kind of benny hill joke you know it i just, was gonna say <laughs> if you put the music on that'd be hilarious yeah. Be, yeah so it doesn't really feel like oh like even though on paper like i said his plan is pretty brilliant it doesn't feel like it's like it's executed Very well yeah. on screen kind of thing. It just, because I think we're more concerned and the viewers more drawn into the whole regeneration thing mm. rather than defeating the master. That's the vibe that I get from it. Now, that's not to say that I think it puts a downer on the story because like I said, I do give it a thumbs up. I think it's a good, so it's a good, it's a good watch in a weird way. I don't know why it's a good watch. But yeah, I just wasn't um, overly taken with Anthony Ainley, dude. Not because of him, but just how he was written. Yeah, no, I think you made a good point there. I, I, I've never, yeah, no, I do agree with you to an extent. Although I, although I like him in it, yeah, you're right. He is, he's not at the top of his game, is he? I mean, his, his disguise is rubbish. <laughs> Poor Treve. I mean, well, actually, it's not rubbish. I think it's just that Anthony Ainley is so recognisable, even when he's under loads and loads of prosthetics. Um, I think, I don't know if it's the voice or his eyes. It, it seems it's really difficult to hide him under any disguise without it being obvious. Um, I'm pretty, I, I, I doubt there were many people that didn't guess <laughs> that the portrait was the master. I I'm, I'm, would be surprised. I don't know. Back in the day, maybe. But um, yeah, as soon as he comes on screen, you're like, here he is. He's going to whip that fake beard off any minute. and He's going to do a cackly laugh. It's all going to go wrong. What did um, you think uh, to the effect, though? Because he doesn't just take a mask off or a no, fake does beard, does no. he? They do this weird... Um, I didn't like it. ...back and forward. So he's obviously filmed that scene twice. Yeah. One with the costume, one without. And then they do a very, very quick half-second cut that kind of flashes between the two. That was... Um, I'd have preferred it if he just ripped the beard off, to be honest. Yeah, it didn't, yeah. didn't really work. I think it was trying to insinuate that he had properly embodied this old person and he was coming back to his proper self rather than he was his proper self with just a fake beard and hair and a wig and stuff. Yeah. Maybe. 
I, I mm. think the bit where he tries to escape is always I've always found that a bit weird as well. You know the bit where he's trying the master's trying to escape, he's chasing after the doctor, and then all the um people from Castro Velva are all sort of tugging at his clothes and pulling dragging him back in. There's something a bit creepy about that. I don't know. Some that scene's just I don't no, know, it's but, just the way yeah. they're all sort of they're all sort of all over him and it's um I don't mean it in a in a it's done badly. I just I always find that scene quite strange for some reason. It's just weird to see the master being uh, manhandled in that way because, like you said, he's normally so powerful, isn't he? Yes. Um, yeah. And it's just it's just a strange. I, I'll tell you what I did think was um, I've watched this quite a few times, and I've always thought Peter was finding his feet very much in this episode, but actually he's a lot better than I remembered. Um, a lot better, actually. I think when I think of Peter in this story, I always think to myself, yeah, it's his first, you know, first introductory story, even though he filmed it third, I think. So he is finding his feet. But I think, actually, I'm just thinking of the scenes when he's doing the doc- the impressions of the other Doctors, because I think in those scenes, he doesn't quite pull it off, if you know what I mean. He's not quite, yeah, it's a little bit cringy, but actually for the rest of this story, he's actually on very good form. Um, so for example, when he gets put in the zero room to begin with, and he's finally stopped sort of falling over, he sort of almost slips straight into being the doctor, doesn't he? He's like, right, you can close the door. No, it works a lot better with the door shut. And he's sort of being quite authoritative. And there's a bit where he's getting quite angry about something. And I thought, actually, Peter's really um, nailing these scenes. He's actually really good when he's, you know, allowed to be the doctor, his doctor sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I was quite impressed by Peter's performance in it. And, and as I said, the lovely scene at the end when he's trying to remember and he's like, where's Adric? And he's really sort of, you know, at the forefront of the scenes, pushing the scenes forward. Mm. And, um, yeah, I thought, actually, he really has come into his own. Um, but like I said, it wasn't the first story filmed. I think the first one he filmed was Four to Doomsday, wasn't it? That's right. They, they did yeah. them out of order, didn't they? Which mm. must have been a bit strange. I know Fiona Cummins said that they, she had a problem because because this was the third story they filmed. Uh, Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding had sort of bonded quite a lot and, and were getting on really well and with uh, Peter, and she was saying, look, you guys, you've got, to, you've got to go back to the start. You know, you can't, you've got to remember, you haven't really got to know this Doctor yet, so you can't have that. You, you know, you've got to act differently. You've got to act as if you don't really know him. You, you, you're too, you know what I mean? You're already, the chemistry is already there, and you, you haven't got that yet. So that must have been quite strange to sort of think, oh, yeah, we've got to, <laughs> got to act as if we don't really know this guy, when in actual fact they got to know each other quite well, because I think they'd filmed two other stories. So that's a bit weird. Yeah, I can imagine it would have been very easy for them to just plod along um, with that kind of banter between them because they'd got to know each other very well at that yeah. point. You know, if this was the fourth one, was it third or fourth to be filmed? One of the two. I think and, it was uh, third, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, fair play to Fiona Cummings for reminding him of that fact that, that we're going back to the beginning now. You know, you've never seen this doctor before. You can't be like you know, having all the, the bants and laughs and stuff. So, yeah. yeah I, I think it's imagine. good she picked up on that, mm. to be fair. Do you think it flows on well from Legopolis? Like, do you, do. Do you think of the yes. way it picks up straight straight from it? Because I think at one point they were going to, uh, they were going to start the season with a totally different story, which would be, wouldn't pick up from Legopolis at all. It would just go straight into the Peter as the new Doctor. It's kind of like, you know, as if he was already established, he'd already. You know, there was going to be none of this post-regeneration stuff. 
Um, which do, do you think that would have worked better, or do you think it's good? Because I, I, I personally have always loved the fact that it starts straight from where Legopolis leaves off. I love the fact that we continue the story and we get to see Peter become the Doctor. But do you think, as um, because I think nowadays they might have done it differently. I think, you know, mm. they would just they would want to get straight into the story so that viewers aren't bogged down with too much baggage from the previous story but I, I i must admit i think it carries on really well for legopolis even though <laughs> i think it's filmed in a different location it does look slightly different if you you know look hard enough but I, it doesn't bother me any of that stuff like I, I find the beginning quite funny when tegan steals the ambulance and all that and <laughs> adric gets into the most hilarious ruckus yeah. it's so ridiculous oh i i find the the beginning really fun take your hands Probably. off me <laughs> <laughs> he's having the right old scrap and he um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it picked up well from Legopolis. I do. I like mm. the fact that it carries on. I'll tell you what I would have liked, though. They do mention in the production notes. So when Peter's really struggling with regeneration in episode two, I think it is. You know when the Zero Room is jettisoned, which is oh, a yeah. great idea. Yeah. I love that. So they go to go in it and it's gone. I thought, oh, that's good. Um, apparently he was supposed to be starting to go get really bad and they were going to make him up to look like the Watcher. So he was sort of going back, transitioning back into the Watcher. Ooh. So they were going to paint his face white and have a few veins to make him look really... Now, I think they should have done that because that mm. would have, A, been a great throwback to the Watcher, and B, it would have added a, a bit more drama to the fact that the regeneration was failing. And I, I, I wonder why they didn't do that. It was probably a time thing. Probably. probably yeah. But wouldn't that have been great? So you know the bit where they go to go in the zero room and she opens the doors and it's gone and then one of the doors falls off and Peter's kind of slumped in the wheelchair because he's really, the regeneration's really failing. Remember that scene? Yeah. That's when he would have started to right, apparently look right. quite white and pale and start to look like the Watcher again. And I really wish they'd done that. I think that would have, would have added a lot more drama to it, actually. That would have been cool, actually, because yeah. um, the whole point of the, of the, the region... That we they only pick up a few times, I think, in all of Doctor Who, is that there's no guarantee that that's going to be successful. Hmm. There are times where, if it's not, if the Doctor doesn't regenerate, quote unquote, properly, he could die. There's no guarantee that he'll just automatically, you know, survive anything. So that would have added to the whole, you know, is he going to properly regenerate? Is he going to, you know, or is that because if sort of fading in and out and becoming the Watcher again and. And that stuff, that's very cool. I'd love to have seen that. But yeah, it must have been a money time thing, I suppose. Yeah, it, yeah. I was going to say, I'm sure there's some reason for it. I just, yeah, even if they just did it subtly, like you could just see him getting a bit white. And mm. I don't know, I just think it's a great idea. I, I wish they'd follow through, follow through with that. But probably a time mm. thing, I guess. And they probably yeah. just felt like, oh, we don't need it. We can just show this failing by having him slumped in the chair. I don't know. I'm sure there were reasons, but I wish they had done it. Yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of... To answer your question, should we have had uh, kicked off the the new series with a new Doctor with just uh, an established Doctor? So he's already regened like however many weeks, months, years before. And the first episode we see, he's already just rocking and rolling. Mm. I think there are merits to both of that because we've seen, I think especially in modern Doctor Who, they've always transitioned, haven't they, from the, the parting Doctor or actor and then... The, the story for the next actor taking over has always been exactly where the last one left off. Mm. You know, so we've always had that. The except the exception to that, though, is Eccleston. And that worked really well. 
because obviously yeah, it would yeah. have been really weird, wouldn't they, to try and... Um, I mean, in hindsight, we now know that there was the war doctor involved and that was the whole thing. So obviously they weren't even thinking about the war doctor at that point because Moffat wasn't involved, but they couldn't have really gone back and got um, what they could have done maybe, but um, uh, they couldn't have gone back and plucked a regeneration scene out of nowhere. It just would have been a bit strange to, do you know what I mean? To, um, to try and fill in the gap almost. Mm -hmm. So I think there are merits to both because when Eccleston came on screen, I think, there were a couple of lines that insinuated that it was a fresh regen because he looks in the mirror in Rose's apartment, doesn't he? And notices his ears and stuff. That's and right. Yeah. So it, it kind of hints that he's been this doctor just for a short period of time. He's still sort of looking at himself in a new light kind of thing. But then at the same time, if you take those away from it, he's still, you know, just explodes onto the screen as the doctor already. We don't have to see him uh, <clears throat> become the doctor like we have with Castrovalva and some other stories. So that works really well too. But I think for for the most part, I like seeing, especially Davison, like become, you know, sort of leave. Because we have to remember also that back in the day, because Tom Baker's legacy, even straight after he left, was so strong, mm. you know, in a lot of people's eyes, he was the Doctor and that was it. You know, I think they needed that that period of time where both visually and I guess metaphorically, that Peter Davison's doctor needed to come out of that era of Who. And it would have been more difficult to do that if he just popped on screen as the doctor already, because everyone would have been scratching their heads like, well, what happened in, at the end of Logopolis? You know, what happened there? How did he escape? What was going on? And, you know, where's the master and all that stuff? So it would have been of a head scratcher. So, mm. yeah, I, I like the way they did it. I like, I like the fact that you see Davison. Luckily, having already filmed a bunch of stories already, you know, um, sort of become the Doctor. And speaking of the Doctor, this was the first time that uh, I think Davison actually insisted on it that they changed the the wording of the Doctor in the credits and stuff to the Doctor rather than Doctor Who. Is it? Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And they did it again when Eccleston come back. So when Eccleston's in two thousand and five, when that kicked off. In the credits, it's Doctor as in DR, full stop, who. It's Doctor Who like that, like it was in the previous classic mm. years. And then when Tennant took over, he then, and the production, you know, they all said it needs to be the Doctor. So that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, mm. I know Peter, I think Peter felt a lot of pressure, um, which, to be fair, you got to give him some credit really to take over from Tom Baker must have been quite daunting because like you said he was so established as the doctor he'd been the doctor for so many years to take over from him and he's he was a young chap at the time wasn't he Davison um I think he must have been the youngest doctor yeah um so it's, he's got a lot riding on his shoulders mm -hmm. and I, I think I've got a, you know hats off to him for going for it I think he was worried at the time about doing it but I think he's quoted as saying, like, he just couldn't say no to Doctor Who. He's like, I don't think, you know, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm, I'm going to regret it if I don't give it a go. So hats off to Davison for, for actually taking the part. And I think he does great stuff with it. I mean, he, he does take a bit of time some to find his feet a little bit. I think by, I mean, but we always say it, by Castrovalva, he's absolutely rocking. <laughs> Not mm. Castrovalva, sorry. Kezrandazani, he's absolutely rocking as the Doctor, which of course is his last story, but, you know, um, he often gets sort of 
overlooked, I think, Davidson as being this fluffy doctor that was very human-like. But actually, when you go back and watch some of his stories, Peter does some great stuff with his mm. doctor. And he's, I think he is underrated. I really do think that. Um, I, th- I think he, he's got some great characteristics, which I think he brought because they do say that him and J&T had very different ideas um, about the character of the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. J&T... Did, you know, I think Peter said he didn't really get any advice on how to play it, but he had some ideas that JNT sort of vetoed. Um, can't remember what they were. So I think Peter just wanted to tread that line between being uh, sort of a bit grumpy like Hartlewish, but then having this sort of um, a lot of humour to hide it and stuff, and you know, which is what we sort of associate with the Doctor. So I think Peter was going down the right track. But yeah, I think he finds a good line between those two. He's one of those Doctors, I think, that you know, we've. Seen, I always like it when Peter's doctor suddenly starts laying down the law. Like he is quite easygoing, so it may, it's quite cool when he really, you know, suddenly flips and and sort of has a go at like Adric <laughs> or or Tegan. You know, it's um, it he does remind me a bit of Hartnell when he he does that. He, he has got this sort of irascible side to him. Yeah, for sure. You know, which I think yeah. people forget about with Peter's doctor. They just think he's. You know, Mr. Nice. I think that the the uh, atmosphere on set as well, you c- can tell <laughs> that it's a, it's a much happier um, time filming on set. You can just see that the tensions from Tom, you know, I mean, I, I love Tom Baker, but he will admit himself that there was a lot of tension towards the end of his era, um, you know, and I think the cast to an extent may have just been treading on an eggshells a lot of the time around Tom. I think with Peter, you can tell that it's brought in a, a, you know, a totally different atmosphere. The, the cast got on very well. We all know that. Um, and he was quite an easygoing person to, to work with. And so you can see there's a much more lightness of performance from the, the actors as well. Yeah, uh, so definitely. I think Peter brought that as well, that sort of, you know, much calmer, much more relaxed atmosphere to be around. Uh, and I think one person in particular is, is certainly noticing it, and that's uh, Matthew Warhouse, who <laughs> seems to have... Um, let the reins off a bit. He seems to have found almost a new confidence, but to me, he's gone a little bit too far the other way. So when he first sort of started, we said his performance was, you know, a bit all over the place. And then I can't remember what story we were reviewing where we said he, he seems to have found his character and was quite good. And, and then we get to cast of Alvin. I think he's almost got a bit too confident because some of his scenes, he's way over the top like the scene where he's talking to Nissa in the mirror. He's like, no, don't turn around. Don't look now. And he's really trying to give a great performance, but actually he's, he's, he's just, you know, gone way too far. It's just like, no, tone it down. You know, Fiona Cummins perhaps should have said, Matthew it's great. I love your enthusiasm, but just tone it down a little bit, you know? Um, I mean, yeah, it's not the best performance of Matthew in this one. I have to be honest. And not, you know, he probably feels like now that he hasn't got that, intense stare from Tom yeah, Baker. Yeah, I mean. The so shackles he can just of, do what yeah, he wants. He can, yeah, fire it up a little bit. But There's, oh, there's a bit where the doctor says to him, do you see anything you don't recognise that could get us out here? And he looks around and then he goes, oh yeah, over there, and points to the direction he hasn't even looked in. <laughs> He's like, oh, over there, some hills. And they're like, what? Is it? Yeah, I, it, it's a very um, enthusiastic performance from Matthew and I, I do you know I, I like Adric but yeah he's yeah. a bit um he's trying a bit too hard in this I think you, you can, know, it, you feel, can... it feels like he's gonna you know this is my time to shine sort of thing yes yeah and you can definitely yeah. tell that 
the the atmosphere was better as well because in the final at the end of part four when he's uh when he's freed from the the web and the imprisonment and stuff like that mm. when they were filming those they the character needed to look kind of you know he'd been wrung out basically he'd been imprisoned and because his constant calculations and stuff like that he's basically meant to look completely knackered and tired and uh apparently he achieved that um by accident because he'd been on an absolute bender the night before oh, yeah that's right yeah that's it yeah with the crew and stuff and uh he was just he was so hung over he was hanging so much he was so pale um because i remember thinking like wow he looks really when i rewatched it i was like wow he looks really quiet and um withdrawn it's in those really final pale, bits. Yeah. but it's because he was so hanging and then at the end where the the doctor and tegan are talking about you know when they get back to the tardis and it's on a slant and he's like who landed yeah. this sort of thing and he's talking to tegan about that apparently matthew waterhouse is 20 feet away throwing up behind a tree yeah he was really really because bad so sick. <laughs> i think it was uh jnt and janet fielding got him drunk the night before because i think he'd recently turned 18 and they were like come on you can you can legally drink now down some of these and uh, yeah he was really really hung over apparently yeah. he looks he looks as white as a ghost as well that little scene where they're jogging <laughs> yeah. i can just imagine that like we've all been hung over and oh, just God, imagine yeah. like having to do a scene we you know could we do another take of you guys running up this uh, you know, through the forest, I bet he was like, "Oh God, I just can't do it. I can't." Do it. Yeah. yeah, but you can see it in his in his face. He looks he looks really rough. Campari, <laughs> apparently, a night Campari was. With, yeah, I can't stand the stuff myself, so I, I can see why he was. Uh, yeah, hanging, but bless Ugh. him. Yeah. What yeah. did you think? To um, uh, before we move on to talking about um, uh, Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton. Uh, what do you think to the idea that in going back to the subject of, you know, should the doctor, should they have continued with how they did it, where they sort of shown that they, they showed Peter Davison sort of easing his way into his own era, stuff like that, or established. They, they wanted to have Elizabeth Sladen and Louise Jameson come on board for the first couple of episodes so that they could, um, so that they could kind of ease the audience out of that era and you know to do a bit of a handover if you like so show mm. some familiarity from tom baker's era um and then sort of have that you know sort of easing into davison's era but they both turned it down not because they didn't want to do it but because they were just scheduled and filming doing their own thing and other stuff they couldn't do it but that would have been a real kind of twisty uh weird thing to happen wouldn't it i, I can't i can't see how that would have worked what they were going to bring them into this story or would that have been in the other story or um not it not in this particular story but apparently the first block that well the first two or three stories Mm. they would have um they wanted them to come back and yeah just provide a bit of familiarity for the you know the down in the dumps got the blues tom baker tom uh doctor who fans that were like this doesn't feel like doctor who and then Mm. they brought these people in it's like oh it feels like doctor who now you know that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, I don't know. It would have been interesting. I don't think it needs it though. I mean, I I always think um, if you get it right, you know, be brave enough to stand on your own two feet. I sometimes think you know you underestimate the audience by doing something like that, thinking oh we've got to do this to please the fans, otherwise they're all going to walk away. But I think if your doctor and um, companions are strong enough that you've got, and I think you know we we call this the 
the crowded TARDIS team, but I, th- I think they're great characters. Um, I think they're strong enough to, to carry the series with Peter's Doctor, so I don't think it needed them, uh, is what I'm trying to say. It probably would have been nice. It would have been... I'm sure if we had episodes for them in, it'd be episodes we enjoyed, but... Um, yeah, I don't think it needed it. I I think it works fine as it is. Uh, as I said, I think yeah. there it is a crowded TARDIS team, but I really like this TARDIS team. Um, even Adric, I think he's a, a an interesting character. You know, I, I like the fact he can fly the TARDIS. I mean, I know he's a bit cocky <laughs> and, and all that, but I, I do find him fun. Like into you know, he's always ready to get stuck into a scrap. You know, like he's always ready to. Um, to get stuck in. So, and I think Nissa and Tegan work really well together as well. I think it's a really nice relationship between those two of inevitably you're going to have find that writers find it hard to give them all something to do, which does happen obviously. But I think because the characters are kind of strong anyway, it doesn't always seem that bad. If you know what I mean? Like even if they're not doing anything like Tegan often just moans, you know, so there's just some episodes where she doesn't do anything, but just, walk around moaning and you know she might do the odd thing here and there but i still find the character tegan fun in those stories because it that's tegan you know she's just like i think she even moans about running in this one doesn't she mm. at the end she's like oh i've had enough of that sort of thing so yeah i i, I just think they're they're strong characters anyway yeah and i think they have a they have a good they have a good dynamic with the doctor i think yeah yeah definitely yeah. even though we've mentioned numerous times about like you said, this being the crowded TARDIS team and stuff. And when you've got, well, I think when you've got the dynamic right, it can work. And this did work for the majority of the time. Mm. However, when you try, so when we had Jodie's era, when we had three companions, it just didn't work. Well, it it, it didn't work more than it, than it did work, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like very, like the odd episode here and there. It would be a, it would be cool, but the, the majority of the time you had, I, I don't know, you had one or sometimes two of the companions just in the background, not really doing much, not you know, not. But contributing they they weren't much. interested in enough characters. I think that's the thing with Andrick, yeah. Nissa, and Tegan. You've got three very different exactly. characters. They're yeah. all interested in their own way. Whereas in the Jodie era, they kind of, to me personally, anyway, they just they weren't just weren't that interesting as characters enough to carry the screen time. But it's weird because I think you just said that, you know, the dynamic is there between them and the doctor. And I think that's very true. So Andrew, Nissa and Tegan and the fifth doctor, there is a real good chemistry between all of those characters, even the doctor getting a bit annoyed of Andrew <laughs> now and again, you know, there's something between all of those characters uh, enough to sort of keep the momentum. I don't think, it would have worked with Tom's Doctor, for example. I think if you had Tegan, Nissanadric, and the fourth Doctor, mm. I think you would have struggled a lot more to to find stuff for them to do because I think Tom's Doctor was more domineering as a central, as a uh, leading character. Yeah, agree. You know, yeah. you know. Yeah. Whereas Peter sort of shares the screen time more with these characters, and it, I think it works pretty well for the most part. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree on that, dude. Yeah, so yeah. that's why I think they're a good TARDIS team. Even though even though it often gets said it's a crowded TARDIS, I think it does work for the most part, I think. Yeah, and I think Janet Fielding is, is like the... Because we often say that Sarah Sutton's performance is a little bit withdrawn sometimes and she's a bit quiet. I think it's just her nature, not as the character mm. Nissa, but I think just Sarah Sutton herself is... 
she might be completely different we don't know her but she she just strikes me as being like a quietish kind of person and a little bit not as fiery as somebody like Janet Fielding. Who's, oh, yeah. Do you know what different. I mean? So Totally different. Yeah. So there's a natural, even before they step into character, there's a natural dynamic there where you've got uh, um, Tegan being very mouthy and um, complaining a lot and all that stuff. And Nissa just being the more quiet kind of, she's more of an observer mm. rather than a contributor in a degree. It takes, you know, it's often down to, uh, Davison's doctor saying to her, "Right, you need to go and investigate that, or you need to go and build that, or think about that." Whereas Tegan's more like, "Well, I'm getting the hell out of it," you know. She's she's <laughs> off gone. doing whatever she wants to do and stuff. And Adric's just more like he he's sometimes he's the he's the peacemaker. Mm. Uh, he's like, "Oh no, don't you know the doctor didn't mean it? You know, let's just go and." And then at other times, he's more like arguing with the doctor because he doesn't agree and. They have a little tiff and stuff. So, uh, like you were saying, the dynamic is there, um, and it's consistent across a lot of stories as well. You know what you're going to get uh, mm-hmm. with these four. So, although it's crowded, it does somehow work. Not all yeah. the time, but most of the time, it does somehow work. It's um, and it also it it makes you think about um, like you were saying, if this was if this was the fourth Doctor and we had these three companions, it wouldn't have worked. I don't think it would have. No, not long term. Yeah, because I've not thought about that hardly at all. Like, what, no. would, what would it be like if Tom had stayed on another another mm. series and this was Tom with, you know, these peeps and stuff? It just would have been... Because these guys yeah. feel like a team, don't they? Yeah. That's the thing. The Doctor and these guys, they feel like a team. Whereas I think if they were with Tom's Doctor, he, very, he just did, you know, he, he liked to do stuff himself. So he did... I'm not saying he didn't work well with other people in terms of his doctor. I mean, not, not him as an actor, but his doctor just always was a bit of a solo, you know, he might have the odd, you know, like with Romana, they worked quite well together, but most of the time the doctor just does his own thing and the companions help out with Davison's doctor. They're much more of a team. I think these guys, uh, so I think mm. that's probably why they'd work better. I do feel sorry for poor old Sarah Sutton having to go in that, lake though she really i i genuinely thought she'd fell down she looks like she just literally drops down that slope bless her doesn't she when she goes in the water oh yeah <laughs> gets soaked i mean she literally does slip down the side of the i don't think they do that now they wouldn't say i'll oh, go and slide down that slope into the water and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah poor poor old sarah sutton <laughs> yeah well both of them actually sarah sutton and janet fielding they do get lumbered with the heavy lifting in this story really because they have mm. to I have to lug around <laughs> to, um, you know, lug around the coffin. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is probably not very heavy. It's probably made of plywood or MDF or something. It's probably quite light, but they're, you know, they're carrying that thing through various fields and overgrown stuff. And, and then I you think have Janet climbing. was a bit, yeah, yeah, Janet wasn't very happy about going up the rocks. I don't uh, think she's, because they were, once you're on the top of them, I think we're a bit high. They weren't like, you know, that high, but they were high enough to be a bit dodgy, which again, hail for safety probably wouldn't allow them to just go on, get, get up the top there. We need to get this shot. They probably wouldn't have done that. Um, so yeah, I'll tell you, I, while I remember this, there is another thing about the story. I like another bit, um, which is when we first meet the people from the Gopolis, I always love it when we get a bit of world building in Doctor Who. That's why I like Paradise Towers because we get mm-hmm. a sense of a, you know, a, a, a different civilization. So I like the bit when they get to the Castrovelva and 
for a lot of the time you think that there there's something amiss like the characters do as well so tegan thinks the people on castle velva are, are bad don't she she's like they had the zero cabinet <laughs> they're trying to do this and you start to think as a viewer are these people actually going to turn out to be baddies you know in particular the guy that looks like a villain um who's the guy uh he's the one from rent a ghost can't remember his name is it Derek wearing he's the guy in black you know, he, he's purposely sort of made to look oh, like a hit, Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, he's a good guy. So there's a lovely scene where the doctor sort of just puts his hand to beckon him around the corner. And I think you assume it's the master, but it's the doctor. And he says, look, I know you're, you know, I know you're not a bad guy and I need you to help me. And, you know, so sort of suddenly you realise that actually they are just innocently, you know, doing these things. They're not trying to sort of... Um, do anything bad towards the doctor but you know i like that i like the fact there's a little bit of uncertainty of you know are these people good or are they bad you know is this all all part of the trap or are they part of the plan sort of thing so that's that's quite a good bit of writing um and i like michael sheard as well who pops up a lot in doctor who um he gives a nice performance murgrave yeah murgrave yeah 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 yeah. he's a great he's a great little actor michael sheard and and a really nice guy as well yeah, he's the one that pulls the master back in at the end, isn't he? He stays yes, behind and yeah. he's like, you're not getting away. You've know, caused too much, you know, terrible thing. So, yeah, that was good. And, yeah, Shard Oven, who's he, he's played by um, uh, Derek Wa- Wa- Waring, who you mentioned. He, he's the guy that I thought, he's the key. He's he's yeah. the baddie in disguise. Because um, there's a bit in the story where um, uh, Murgrave goes up to him and says... Uh, the doctor's leave, leaving, you know, he's, just, he's insistent that he wants to go and stuff. And then uh, Shardovan's like, well, we will have to make sure that that doesn't happen. And you think, what's going on here? Why doesn't he want the doctor to leave? Obviously, you know, it's all kind of, uh, everything's kind of warped at this point. You know, they're not really sure why they're doing stuff. But I thought mm-hmm. then like, oh no, are these like baddies? Because when you see them in the hunting stuff, near the big, you know, in episode yeah. two, when they're in all the feathers and the... Uh, the, the crazy costumes and stuff you think like they do look quite menacing it's like these guys are in trouble that's what i mean it's quite good isn't it they, they do play up to that quite well that you think these are going to be like some sort of new alien or baddie or, or yeah, creature yeah. but it's actually not they're just innocent you know uh people and actually they're all caught up in this trap really aren't they yeah because they don't know they're doing it it's a really good scene where the doctor says to murgrave he says look draw a map of Castro Valva as best you can on yes. the back of this oh, mirror. I love that scene. Yeah. He said, and now, you know, mark out where your chemist, you know, your pharmacies are. And he's like, one, two, three, four, and he doesn't and he, his brain can't compute. So that's when you realise, like, oh crap. Like these guys are caught up in it as well. They don't know that everything's being walked around them and they're kind of they can't fight it because they can't realise. So then that's when you realise, hey, actually, right, there's no there's no wrongdoing going on. This is just all manipulated by um, by the master via Adric, who's doing the computations to make all of this. It's it's quite clever. It's a it's a pretty clever script when you when you pick apart some of it and go to at least one level deep anyway. But when you try and think about it too hard, yeah, like we said at the beginning, it does get a little bit. Yeah, it makes yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I know Bidmead comes into a bit of criticism, um, but I, I I always think well even when the ideas don't always uh, come off, I think at least he's coming up with some interesting ideas. And I think that's what sort of um, works well in Castrovalva and Legopolis is that 
although some of the ideas are a bit out there and a bit odd and and um and all that they're interesting ideas that you can sort of that you know excite the imagination mm. so that i think you can sort of overlook some of the ridiculousness of some of it because you think well actually that's quite an interesting concept you know so yeah, yeah i don't yeah. think bidmead had some great ideas um yeah, he goes. He goes in a bit with the technogabble. I think he loves stuff like you know, <laughs> what was that thing you were trying to remember earlier about the TARDIS overheating? He, he loves throwing in stuff like that. And um, but that's yeah, I don't mind that sort of thing. No, no, it's not too yeah. bad. What, uh, what did you think of Fiona's direction, by the way? Did you think it was well directed? I was going to say yeah. I think in terms of production stuff, you can tell it's we're getting into that part of as you progress through Doctor Who, throughout the classic years, you do have these kind of ebbs and flows where all of a sudden there'll be a story and you think bloody hell they had a little bit of money here because you know the sets look really good or they've gone out location loads or there's some good effects and then you have this kind of um sort of downward kind of thing that happens for a couple of years in who where you think right the bbc have really sort of clutched on the money at this point Mm -hmm. and i think this is and this is kind of a a little bit of a slippery slope for me from this point onwards with Doctor Who, you can really tell that the BBC are reining in um, a lot of the budget. And I think that's, I think you, have you read John Nathan Turner's book? I'm pretty sure you've. What, the life and times? Of, yeah. 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 I've read it. Yeah. I think one of a couple of the, the, the occasions where he's really flipped his lid is about, you know, him not having as much, um, budget and stuff like that the other shows at the bbc were getting at the time and it was a constant mm. battle for him when he was trying to speak to the execs at the bbc and saying look the ratings are still good you know i need more <laughs> you know i need to be able to produce a good show sort of thing and they never budged obviously and no. he always had a shoestring budget and stuff but for me anyway from davison's era onwards you can really tell that apart from the odd little moment here and there they were really reined in on money because the sets look quite cheap. If that, um, even though they had to, like the big fireplace that was the Masters TARDIS at one point, and, yeah. um, you know, some of the staircases and other bits and pieces, and even like the big metal web thing that Adric was. You well, know, that's just it, the zero room painted black. Exactly, mate. Yeah, and <laughs> it's you know, reused. Yeah, all of those metal um, uh, bars and rods and stuff you can see all the welding marks on it and stuff. They just very quickly knock these things up because they had no money. And mm. and the sets are quite small as well. They are quite contained. So production-wise, I think they're really, they're really sort of getting in their heads around, right, okay, we're never going to get any more money from the beep now. So we're going to have to be uh, sort of innovative with how we do this stuff so i think with some of the sets a lot of it's meant to look like stone and marble and all that sort of stuff and they've tried to weather it and stuff but it it just starts to look really cheap now whereas before from baker's era and then previously although you knew it was cheap there was a certain charm to that Mm. if that makes sense whereas now it's like we know it's cheap but you've tried to make it look not cheap but as a result it looks cheaper than what (laughs) <laughs> yeah I hope, I hope i'm making sense with that i think but, i know what you mean i was gonna say I do, I do like the sets but yeah they definitely do, yeah there's definitely a budget thing here i mean you said about the ratings it was, this is getting 10.4 million viewers uh that you know around that sort of mark so still like you said still getting great viewing figures um i think wasn't it to do with you know the budget as well was it was 
the department that made Doctor at the time was like, was it children's department or something? So that meant it got a smaller budget. I don't know. There was all sorts of reasons. But yeah, the, the, the way I would put it is they, they're getting the most out of what they're <laughs> mo- they really yeah. make the most out of what they've got, I think, you know, and credit to J&T for that, really. They really managed to get the best out of very little that they were, you know, had to work with, I think. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree, mate. Yeah, and the next couple of stories onwards. I mean, um, uh, what's the next one? Four to Doomsday. Four to Doomsday yeah, yeah, that ended up raking in, I think it's like nine million viewers per episode. Mm. Uh, and then the next one after that, what was that? Kinder? Kinder. Was Kinder. I'm pretty sure that was like eight something, nine yeah. point something. So in reality, the BBC should have been like, this is, you know, I don't know what it was about the execs around, around this, because I think... It stemmed from a lot of them just uh, thinking that this was a kid's show still, like you were saying, it was part of yeah, the kids. Yeah, they just didn't have any time for it, did they? Yeah, and they didn't, I feel anyway, that very few of them took it seriously as a proper science fiction show, yeah. you know, so it ended up just being this, yeah. Anyway, we can but, talk for ages about that stuff, but... um, Yeah, I was going to say, this season ends with time flight, and by then you can really see oh, that God, the yeah. budget, I mean, that's when even Peter, I think, said, didn't he, that when he saw the sets for time flight, he just thought, what? what the hell's going on? I've got to get out of this. And I think, is that when he decided to leave or was it the next season? I can't remember, but yeah, even by the end of the season, money had completely dried up. And just going back to Fiona Cummings, cause it, I, I thought the direction was good. You know, I think she tries a few things. There's a couple of nice shots of, um, uh, Tegan and Nissa at the TARDIS where she sort of framed it where, you know, you've got a slightly different angle and stuff. So I think she tries a few things, but Peter Davison says, um, in the making of for this story that he thought, he liked Fiona a lot, but he felt like she was a bit old fashioned in her style. And he uses that phrase, which we always use. He says she was very much point and shoot. Um, and I think there are some scenes like that in particular um, in episode three, when we just get a lot of walking around and the shots are very static. Uh, you know, it's just shots of literally just someone walking from one end of the screen to the other. Um, so yeah, I don't know there, there are bits which, where I think she's done some great stuff. Um, but other bits, yeah, I agree with Peter Davison, perhaps a little bit static in the direction. Yeah. But no, I think you, overall yeah. it's all right. I think overall it's good. No, you um, took the words out of my mouth of that stuff really, do It's very static, a lot of it. It's, um, mm. Even when there's some, you think it's going to get a little bit, uh, they were going to enhance the, the sort of action, the very few action scenes that we have. Like mm. at the end when everything's collapsing and the master trying to get away, even then the camera's just at one point. You know, yeah, it's just filming yeah. upwards and everyone's grabbing the master and stuff. And although the music kind of hypes up a bit at that point and, you know, it does seem like it's building to something, the, the camera's just very much, you know, on its Todd, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, just shooting in one thing. And in some what? respects that can work though in classic coup, there is a really lovely old school feel about that where you just have a static camera and you have a few people walking along and they're having a conversation, but I think it needs to be balanced out though with, you know, some exciting stuff that happens elsewhere. But in this one, it did feel very much like that through most of it. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. What do you think of the music? You mentioned the music as well. Cause I, again, I, a lot of it I like cause it's got, it's very much of its time. The do, 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 you know, the sort of running <laughs> around and it's a little bit seventies at times. Um, and I even like the do, 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 do little pipe bit. But only for about the first couple of times, it's sort of, even though I like it, 
by about the fifth time of hearing that little flute bit of music, I'm like, oh, it starts to grate a little bit. So I, for the most part, I like Paddy Kingsland's score, but it does get a bit samey. And I think by episode <laughs> four, you sort of had enough of the pan pipe. But yeah, but for the most part, I like it. I think it suits the story very well. Yeah, I thought so. I quite like this one, actually. Old Paddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with this one. Yeah, it does get a little bit samey, I agree. By As you're partway through episode three, you think, okay, I've heard that little motif now sort of ten times already over the last yeah. couple of hours, but or last hour, sorry. So it does get a, a wee bit samey, but it's got a nice vibe to it, though. It's got, a, It's not too... Um, it's not trying to reinvent the wheel kind of thing. It's not trying to be years ahead in terms of music. It's not doing any crazy electric synthesizer stuff too much. Mm. So it does... It's fairly balanced. It's of, it's of its time, isn't it, for sure? Yeah, I must yeah. admit, Paddy Kingsland scores are, are probably... Yeah, I really like his music that he does for, you know, this sort of era. I mean, I love the stuff in Legopolis. I think it's gorgeous. Mm. And, yeah, I think this sort of carries on. It, it, because this follows Legopolis, I think, I'm glad they got him to do the music because it does feel like it sort of bridges the two together with the music. So, yeah, I, I do like it. But, yeah, it yeah. just gets a bit samey. <laughs> he did a really nice... Was it Paddy that did... um. Uh, what was it? Uh, the Five Doctors. Did he do the yeah, Five Doctors? He I did, didn't I think he? so. Yeah. Beautiful score for that one. Oh, no, it's, no it's Peter Howell. Oh, boy. Oh, it's Peter Howell. Oh. I always saw his Paddy King's. Yeah, I did as well. That's weird. Yeah. Anyway, the music was, 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 was pretty good. It was just a bit mm-hmm. samey. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on your notes, bud? No, I was just having a quick peruse. No, I think I've pretty much said all I need to say on this one. Yeah, and just very, very quickly, what do you think of Davison's costume? Because it doesn't really change, does it, throughout his his era? Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, because um, actually that was the other note I hadn't spoke about, the costume. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's such an odd... I don't know how they came up with the concept for Davison's costume, this cricket motif and celery on the lapel i I mean what is it about and yet i really like it and i think again i'm going to give credit to peter i think he just carries that costume well somehow i don't know it's ludicrous really to me a bit like colin's costume it really shouldn't work you know and i mean i just i will never understand how a piece of celery gets stuck (laughs) on a costume it's just ridiculous but there's something about it i like it i've always loved this beige jacket I, don't, I just love mm. that jacket and it really suits Peter. Um, I don't know. He makes it work. I don't know how. I <laughs> he just, does, I just, yeah. But it is a strange costume, isn't it? Like when they were designing it, like those, the stripy trousers, the cricket top, a beige jacket and a piece of celery on the lapel. It's, just, it's bizarre. It's weird, isn't it? Because all of the doctors pre- previously up to this point, they didn't really have, other than Tom, I suppose, they didn't really have the kind of quirkiness about them. They were just very, um, you know, it was quite smart looking. You know, it was always trousers and shoes and a mm. long overcoat and shirts and stuff. It was always quite smart. And then I think probably with the exception of Tom's scarf, because it was exceptionally long and crazy, that was the only kind of quirky thing that we've had in costumes up to that point. So this shouldn't work. It should, because it, it's a, it's a change of direction. I mean, they brought it back down to earth again, didn't they? So I think Davison and Colin Baker's costumes were just weird in a good yeah. way, in a good way. They were just very weird. Um, and then when we get to McCoy, we're back to the smart looking, 
you know, trousers and shoes, waistcoat, shirt and stuff and, and a blazer or jacket. Um, so it goes back towards that. Yeah, so just these two doctors, they just have a very quirky kind of out there costume that shouldn't work. It really, it should, if you described it to somebody, they'd be like, what the bloody hell does that look like then? That must be, must look I, awful, I, but he carries I'll it never off. Underst- yeah. yeah, I'll never understand the celery. And I don't think Peter did because Peter hates celery. But I just, where did, I just don't know at what point they were sat there and said, yeah, we've, the costume's up like 99% there. It's just missing. What's it missing? I know, celery on the <laughs> lapel. That's, that's what it's missing. And yet... It, it wouldn't be the same without it somehow. Yeah. Do you think that at that time they knew about, because we, in the case of Androzani, the celery plays a bit of a, an important role, doesn't it? Do you think, was yeah. that retrofitted, or do you think at the time they thought, actually, that bit of celery is going to play a part <laughs> at some uh, point? I don't know. No, no, that's down to Peter Davison. I know this story. Um, Peter said it a few times. It's Peter Davison uh, went along with the celery with, on the condition that they explained it. And he got to his last story and he's like, J&T, you have not, you know, you've got to explain this celery. <laughs> so that's, that, so they finally did. But ah, the, right, yeah, it's right. Peter that said, I'll, I'll wear it, but there's got to be a reason for it. And at some point you've got to explain it. <laughs> and so they, they finally did. <laughs> but uh, I don't think, I don't think they would have bothered if it wasn't because Peter insisted on it. Yeah. He spat it out the first time, you know, in this story when he yeah, munches he hates on it. it, he it? Hate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do I, by the way. My, uh, this is a true story. My partner tries to hide celery in my food sometimes. Like, I'm not going to notice. Oh, like, come on. And I always take it out and leave it on the side of the plate. I'm like, why do you do that? I'm, I'm not going to eat it. <laughs> yeah. My mum used to do that with Brussels sprouts. Yeah. It's like, mum, these are the, the devil's work. Like, I can <laughs> smell Brussels sprouts from three miles away. There's no way you're going to hide them <laughs> under my nose. But anyway, Castro Valva. Let's put some scores on this. I think it's me to go first. Yeah, you go first. Yeah. I'm going to give this a seven, dude. A seven. A seven out of ten. I think it's a good watch. I have no idea why it's a good watch, other than the obvious things of Davison's performance. I love Janet Fielding and uh, Sarah Sutton. I think they're very good. Matt Waterhouse gets a bit big for his boots, hmm. although he's kind of cool. Not really feeling Anthony Ainley, um, and the music's pretty good. Other than that, it's a weird watch. It's a bit slow in places, but still good. <laughs> yeah, it's an odd one. I think it enjoyment factor for me it would be an eight but looking at it in a critical you know analyzing way it's a it is a strange story um and it does have its fault so i'll give it a 7.5 but i do really like it i do i've always really liked castrofalva but i i can't really go to an eight because i i consider an eight to be a strong you know you're getting near sort of eight nine strong story level and i think this is good but it is not quite there but yeah it's a good one i do like it Right, right, cool. Okay, so a seven from me, and a seven point five from him. We had some cool. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a good number of audio reviews in this week, Ooh, so let's good. rattle through these. The first one is Mr. Joe Turner. Castrovalva is a decent episode, but a rather weak opener for one of my favourite classic doctors. Whilst I enjoyed seeing Peter find his doctor and all the references to his previous incarnations, I found the story slow, with way too much talking and not enough action. I like the first two episodes on the TARDIS. It is dramatic and fun. However, once we go to Castrofalva, I found myself really bored. I do like the sinister atmosphere that is generated throughout the story by the Master, and the time loop is a haunting idea. Tegan and Nyssa are very good in this story and deal with the Doctor's regeneration really well. As for Adric, however, 
Well, he didn't really do much other than attempt to threaten the master. Towards the end, I find Peter begins to settle into his role as a fifth doctor and puts on a good performance. It also has some lovely imagery and beautiful location work, and the ending was satisfying seeing the master get his comeuppance. So overall, Castrovalva is an anticlimactic opening story for the fifth doctor that remains rather dull throughout, as well as a little too complex for its own good, and ends up giving me a headache. So I'm going to give this episode a 5 out of 10. Thank you. Five. Headache. Oh dear. Yeah, a bit dull and too complex for its own good. Also, it, it does wrap up quick, doesn't it? Um, when it ended, I've forgotten how quickly it sort of is just everyone's just jogging towards TARDIS and that's it's all done with. It does wrap up a bit quick, this one. Mm. Yeah, it does. Thank you very much, Joe. Five out of ten. On the evens, a five. Moving on, this is Martin Arnold. Castrovalva. And the same to you. Sounds like a very rude word, doesn't it? I, I don't know how... I sat down to, to talk about this episode and I don't know what to say. It's so odd. It's kind of charming, but it's it's an odd change of pace after Logopolis. And in fact, it starts off quite frantic with the tires hurtling into um, Event Zero um, after they looked up on CFAX how to fly the thing, because of course they did. Um, it, it's just so bizarre. It's It's just... And the Doctor spends half the episode, you know, not not himself, um, which is always a dicey prospect for the stories. But it, it, it strangely works. And he comes around in the end and saves everybody and defeats the Master who's built the place and, and is sort of pretending to be the poor Treve. Um, and Michael Sherd is always good value. We always enjoy seeing him in, in Classic Who. It's just, it's just such a strange story. It's just <laughs> nothing really happens until the very end. You know, the, the first and the last episode are the only episodes where anything really happens. I like that it follows on directly from Logopolis, and I like the sort of angst that the Doctor's going through because his regeneration is is um, is going a bit weird. It's kind of a weird little bookend. I quite like it. I love the music of this particular era, and I like the high concept stuff that they tried. But it is just techno babble nonsense. But it's charming with it, and so I, I would give this a 7 out of 10. It's not everyone's favourite, but it is a classic in every sense of the word. Cheerio and Castrovalva all round. <laughs> C-Facts, showing your age there, gosh. C-Facts, yeah, crikey. C-Facts, remember the C-Facts. Yeah, so I think you liked it, Martin, but nothing really happens to, <laughs> until the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is not too far off the point, really, but yeah. Well, did you give it a seven, I think, Martin? Seven, he gave it. Yeah. Nice one, Martin. Thank you very much for your review. Moving on, then. This is TARDISNet 66. Castrovalva, I think, is a really strong post-generation story. What I really like is that although we had seen the dots adjusting to a new body before, this is the first story to explore regeneration. I feel this is the introductory story is about regeneration, with regeneration going wrong, causing chaos, which puts the focus on the companions who have to look after the Doctor. And from that, we get a lot of time inside the TARDIS. I also like the concept of Castrovolva and the idea of this created world by the Master. I like how that mystery unravels. I don't like Anthony Ainley's Master, but although he is the villain in this story, his role is minimal. And this is one of my personal favourite disguises for the Master, Athelpatrief. My main complaint will be that although a good story, it isn't a good display and a good showcase for Peter Davison's Doctor and you don't get a strong enough idea of who he is due to lack of screen time focused on him, and I feel it's not particularly accessible as a story, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. 
Seven. Seven. Yeah, I must admit, if I was JNT back in the day, I would worry about this being accessible as a like to new viewers <clears throat> and also to the new doctor. But because, um, as I said, looking back on it now, we can enjoy it. But I think if I, at the time I'd be thinking, is this a good story to introduce the fifth doctor? I don't know. I mean, I like it, but I don't know. It's not one for the casual viewer. I don't think <laughs> it's not one, not one to bring on new viewers. I don't think. I don't know. No, so I know what you mean no. there, Tardis Net. Yeah. In terms of onboarding a new viewer to, to Davis and Zero, in terms of chronological stuff, then yes. But in terms of getting into the Doctor, into that Doctor, should I say, in that era, probably mm. not. No. And his favourite no. master disguise, bet, better wow. than Khalid from <laughs> Time Flight. Time Flight, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much tn66 now we've got a newcomer let's do it this hey, is toby yeah hello and today i'm reviewing castrovalva for the big blue box podcast this is my first audio review so yeah um okay start off i must say for a crowded tardis team of three companions they each had a lot to do from adric being a whole part of like the whole element with the master to Tegan I love I love to Tegan this probably my favorite companion out of the TARDIS team and this is providing the, the usual doctory parts while the doctor is post regeneration out of action it is the first story with the fifth doctor so kind of there has to be the doctor doing less which yeah the master was good in it and I love the idea the music is great and um yeah love I think if I had to say the first part where they were in the Tuds is probably my favourite part of the story. So I'd say an 8 out of 10. Bye. Thank you very much, Toby. 8 out of 10. That's a good strong score. Your first audio review. Thank you very much. And an 8 is a good a good one to kick mm. off with. Yeah, that opening scene, by the way, is very good. You know, when they're going through mm. various rooms and the Doctor's leaving markers like the threaded scarf and then shoes and, and all that stuff. That is very cool, actually. Yeah. I like the way he just randomly uh, comes across his costume on the mirror as well. It's just so random. I quite like that. Yeah. It's just like waiting for him, isn't it? Yeah, that's cool. Thank you very much, Toby. Let's move on then. From down under, Sammy Satine. G'day, Gary and Adam. Sammy Satine here. So, Castro Valva. It's all right. It's watchable. I think it's better than some other post-regeneration stories. I like the references to Jamie, Vicky and other Doctors. I don't have much else to say about it, really. It's fine. I give it seven zero cabinets out of ten. See ya. Short and sweet from Sammy. Short and sweet, seven zero cabinets. Yeah, not much to say about it. No. Okay, thank you very much, Sammy. Short and sweet, seven out of ten. Moving on, this is Lewis Hello. Paul. Hello, Gary and Adam. I'm back again after a long time of not giving any reviews anyway Crash of Alva. i think it's a nice bit of fun it's quite a chilled out story there are stakes but it's not oh my god the universe is dying we need to do this do that it's not it's just very chilled out and i find that quite refreshing for a doctor debut it, it doesn't leave you on a feeling of yeah new doctor let's go it leaves you on a feeling of yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what this new Doctor does, which I guess is reflective of the fifth Doctor's kind of personality over his tenure. Anyway, the music stands out for me a lot, especially the uh, the track that plays when they're stealing the van at the beginning. 
a lot of the, again, very serene music when you get to Castro Valve itself. I love that Matthew Waterhouse is very clearly ill at the end. Um, you can see he's about to throw up, and apparently he did throw up after they cut, after the L cut, which is a fun little bit of trivia. Um, yeah, it's not brilliant, but it's a fun six. I'm mean, be generous. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten, I think. It's fun and relaxing and nice. So, um, yeah, see you soon, guys. Welcome back, Lewis. Yes, a.k.a. the gargantuan apple. Indeedy. That's yes. your Lewis's YouTube, yeah. Yeah, if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, then you'll recognise Lewis's uh, dulcet tones in the old review. Yeah, he used to send in, send in reviews quite regularly, from what I remember. He has a great catchphrase at the start of his videos, he's, and I, I always think, oh, I'd love to have thought of that. Yeah, I don't know if he did think of it or if he nicked it, but I'm assuming he, he came up with it. He always starts his videos with, hello, mysterious person from behind the screen, or something like that. On the other side of the screen, oh, I've messed it. it up. Yeah. Whatever it is he says, mm -hmm. I used to think, oh, I like that. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> hello, mysterious person. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very Good much, Good to have Lewis. you back, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and a generous 7 out of 10 from Lewis. And the last one, then. This is Neil Campbell. Morning fellas, hope you're well. So Castrovalva, Peter Davison's opening story as the Doctor, albeit it wasn't the first story that he recorded, that was for the Doomsday. But anyway, um, I don't think it's an out-and-out -out classic, but I don't think by any means it's a bad story, it's dead on. Um, I really like Peter Davison's performance in it, um, especially with the post-regeneration scenes, you know, where he's acting like previous Doctors and he's pretty much tearing the fourth Doctor's costume to shreds. Um, and then talking about Roman and whatnot. I like all that. Um, there's a lot of hands in pockets and dashing about, which is very Fifth Doctor, who is a very underrated Doctor, in my opinion. Um, so I think Peter Davison puts in a very good performance here. Um, with regards to the actual plot line itself, it is a bit complicated. I think the Blu-ray effects sort of bring the story up a bit, you know, with the castle and whatnot. I do like the way the TARDIS, you know, lands on its side and they have to climb out of it. Um, I think Adric, like I like him with the fourth Doctor, but straight away, it's there's the way he's written this, it's it's different, um, and he's a bit, you know, all over the place a wee bit. Um, the Master, as I said in Logopolis, is very menacing, but in this, he sort of turns into more of a pantomime villain. Um, so there were changes that way, but I like the whole index file idea and whatnot, and you can see the difference in location from Logopolis and Castro Valva, even though they're meant to be the same place. But it's not the weakest opening story. It's not the best opening story, but it's dead on. So I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Thank you. Yes, agree with a lot of that. 7. 7, number 7. Not the weakest, not the strongest. No. <laughs> okay, I guess fairly good summary of that. Thank you very much, Neil. And thank you to our other audio reviewers as well. You guys went above and aboard this week. It was really cool listening to your... Listen to your voices about uh, how you felt about Castro Valva. Over on the socials, we had just a few. So on Twitter, Chippy T says, I find this a bit of a slog. The TARDIS <laughs> corridors are replaced by castle corridors. The companions don't have enough to do for the three of them. And the master is yet uh, another cunning plan. Cricket adds bugger all to the Doctor's character. <laughs> it's hard work. Four for me this week. Oh, oh dear. Lowest score so far. Jordan Shortman. One of our writers says, one of my fave stories from Doctor Who. Really? The cast are instantly likeable and everyone gets a fair share of the action. The location is stunning and a solid script. Uh, maybe uh, a little complicated, um, uh, for sure. Series 19 is my favourite and gets off to a great start. Nice mm -hmm. one, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, Edward Gillooly. 
says there is some good imagery with the repeating staircases and some nice location work, but overall it's a bit dull, so a 6.5. And Sarah Louise, the running Hoovian, says a great introduction to the fifth Doctor. Peter delivers a convincing regeneration and there's plenty going on, including lots of action scenes for the TARDIS crew who work very well together. An 8 out of 10. An eight. Cool. Nice one, Sarah. And a couple over on Facebook. Uh, Andrew Stewart says, I really enjoy this one. Uh, uh, and he does, <laughs> by the way, I'm doing the master. <laughs> Even though it is weird but delightful, the TARDIS team seem a lot more comfortable with Peter. Anthony Ainley is delightful as the master, even though I could sell him from a mile off in that disguise. The plot is really good and the cliffhanger to the first or second episode is brilliant. Eight <laughs> out of ten. Um and if you guys read his review on Facebook, he's put that little cackly laugh in between loads of sentences. Mm. And also Charlie Turner says, I just rewatched this one the other day as part of my Nissa marathon at the time of mm. writing this comment conveniently. Uh, so this story is weird. And I find that the time trap thing to be a bit on the trippy side of things um, in terms of the effects, but not, uh, not the best way to introduce a doctor, but most definitely not the worst either. It's okay as a whole five out of 10. Mm, five. So, dude, some mixed scores on this one. Yeah, I'm not surprised, really. I don't, I don't think this is a story for everyone. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think we're all a bit bemused by it, aren't we? It is a story that if you like it, you can't really explain why. Yeah. And it's also yeah. interesting that most people, and I think I include myself in this, like the first two episodes better than the last two, and it's all in the TARDIS. It's really weird. They managed to, you know, they managed to get some great drama just out of the TARDIS interior which is you know something <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah yeah mixed bag there yeah it is a mixed one isn't it yeah but thank you very much to everybody that's got in contact to give us your thoughts and reviews and so on next week buddy what are we on next week uh torchwood series two <laughs> still uh we must be getting to the end of series two uh, i don't know what episode this, this is, is the penultimate cool. one i think Oh, is it? Okie yep. dokie. It's called Fragments. Actually, the last couple of Torchwoods have been pretty good, uh, I have to say. So I hope, I hope this is a good one. Mm. Yeah, Fragments. Fragments, indeedy. Right, yeah, then. I think on that note, we'll stick a pin in it there for 322. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming back for another week and listening to the Big Blue Box podcast. If you're a new listener, then welcome aboard the TARDIS. It's great to have you here. If you're an old-time listener, one of the grizzled ancients, then it's great to have you here also. Um, Anyone that's listening to us in New York at the minute, I hope you guys are staying safe and stuff. It looks pretty horrendous what's going on over there at the minute. So um, uh, I've spoken to a few Uh, of our listeners in the past anyway from nyc so if you're over there then i hope you're keeping safe Uh, as adam mentioned uh, we are going to look at torchwood next week we're going to continue our what feels like the forever uh, run of of series are we on series two yeah yeah. series two the penultimate episode fragments so get your blu-rays or your bbc iplayer fired up and give that a watch because we'll be asking for your thoughts as always in the meantime remember to follow our podcast on your preferred podcast app of choice that way you won't miss a show when it lands every friday and all of our episodes are available on our website as well which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk you can listen to everything for free over there 
as well as check out all of the amazing articles and reviews and stuff from our writing team uh, go and check uh, all of that stuff out also on the website is links to go off to the socials instagram twitter and facebook come and give us a like and a follow over there and we have a free discord server as well so come and sign up to that and chat lots of doctor who over there Remember to also check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, Geek's Handbag. I'm on all the socials as well. Instagram, Twitter, and that old relic Facebook. <laughs> old <laughs> that relic. nobody uses anymore. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, so go and check out Adam's channel, which mm-hmm. is not a relic. It's very up-to-date and oh, yeah. still pumping out lots of content. So go and check out loads of cool videos over there. And Adam is on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Go and give him a like and a follow. And chat Doctor Who and other sci-fi geeky goodness. Mm. Until next week then for 323. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Uh... Uh...